Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Good morning. Last Sunday, we started a new sermon series on being with Jesus. And I shared a little bit last week about the theme that we're going to emphasize as a church for the next 12 months is this theme of of being with Jesus. Because we want to be deeply committed as a church to three things. We want to be deeply committed to be with Jesus. We want to be deeply committed to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. Those are the three things that we want to care about, we want to commit ourselves to. And so last Sunday, we discussed the difference between a purely transactional relationship with God versus a transformational relationship with God, and and how we're conditioned by culture, by society, to, to often settle for a purely transactional relationship with Jesus, right? We, we go to Jesus when we need something, when we want something. He's our genie in a bottle. We just rub our lamp and pray, and that's when we need something, and that's when we go to, to God. Instead of being with Jesus in a transformational way, one that changes us from, from the inside out. Um, so this morning, I want to submit to you another way that we reduce our relationship with Jesus um, from a transformational one to a, a transactional one. And that has to do with rooting our relationship with God in doing rather than in being. You know what I mean by that? Doing things rather than being with him. Um, when I was first starting out in occupational ministry, I was in my early 20s, and I was on staff at the church that I grew up in. We were given a building in, in our town, a little town, about 14,000 people. We were given a building downtown, and we turned it into a, a youth center so that students, high school students could drop in after school, and we had um, space for them. Just to, just to hang out and be there. Well, eventually we started doing youth church services on Friday night, and it turned into a youth church. Every Friday night we would have youth services, these church services for young people. And when I was just starting out, and we just got that building, and I was starting out as a youth pastor, did that for eight years, um, I read this quote. And this quote was by somebody by the name of Robert Moffat. You, you probably haven't heard of him. He was a missionary back in the 1800s. And the quote was this. We'll have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. It's an inspirational quote, right? As a young person, starting out in in occupational ministry, I read that like, wow, we'll have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. And and that quote inspired me, it motivated me, but um, I made the mistake of taking that quote too far. And I ended up actually painting it on one of the walls in our youth center because it was so inspirational to me. But I ended up making it the foundation of my ministry in my life. And, and, and all my pursuit, my chief pursuit was, was winning those victories, man. It was just achieving and accomplishing and doing. And I didn't know I was reducing my life and my ministry to that, but unintentionally I was. I remember being at a conference in Chicago. There were several hundred youth pastors from around the country. And the, the plenary speaker that night 
was talking about how he didn't have time for any friends because there's too much of God's work to do. And, and if I heard that today, I would probably leave that plenary session, right? Because there's something not right about that. But back then I was, yeah, amen, because that's where I was. I, I, I had attached my sense of worth and my, my sense of value, my sense of being to what I was doing, to what I could do, to what I was good at, to what I could do for God, right? Now, even though I was living in that space for a number of years, God did some amazing things. I, I grew in my faith in ways I didn't expect. I got to talk to young people about Jesus and connect them to God. In our little town, we had over 600 teenagers come to our youth church services. Dozens and dozens of teenagers came to faith in Jesus and started following Jesus. There was all kinds of good stuff happening. But while I was busy doing all this good work for the Lord, I also noticed that I had settled for a relationship with him that was rooted in doing for instead of being with. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever got so caught up in, in the thing you do, the thing you love, the passion, um, whether it's your career, occupation, a skill, a hobby, and you, and you give yourself to it, and then what happens? You start to define yourself by that, right? And sometimes unknowingly, and we can attach our sense of value. And, and what I was doing is I was attaching my sense of personal worth and value to these measurable results, to these achievements. And, and I had the the, the benefit, right, of, of hiding them under the guise of I'm doing the Lord's work. But I also knew deep down that, that my, my relationship with God started to become this thing where it was rooted, was built around what I was doing, not, not, not being with him, not being with God. And see, I, I think this, I think we live in a culture that encourages us to attach our worth and value to what we do. If you're good at something, Right, or what you do for a living, we tend to attach our, our, our worth to that. Think about this. One of the first questions you ask somebody when you meet them is what? What do you do? And, and, and it's not that doing's wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing. Right? The book of Ephesians in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, tells us one of the reasons we were created was to do good works. Jesus told his disciples to do things. Right? Part of our mission statement as a church is do what Jesus did. So there's nothing wrong with doing, but when our doing is detached from being, right? when, when our doing doesn't come from a place of being, it eventually leads, leaves us wanting more. And that's something that I've experienced in my life. It's something I've experienced in my relationship with, with God, and, and it's what I want to talk with you about today. And I want to look at a Scripture today, passage of Scripture, that offers some perspective on that. It offers some perspective on being with Jesus and doing things for Jesus. So I'm going to invite Lydia Cook to come up. She's going to read our passage for us today from the Gospel of Luke. Or John, actually, right? Yeah, Gospel, of Gospel of John. Chapter, chapter 21, 1 through 14, right? Yep. Okay. All right. This is John 1, 21, 1 through 14. Later... Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. 
We'll come too, they all said. So they went into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right-handed side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've, caught, you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So in this story, the Gospels, by the way, record 10 post-resurrection appearances by Jesus. So 10 times after the resurrection of Jesus, he actually appears to his disciples. And there were five that happened on the day of his resurrection, and there are five more appearances that are spread out over the next 40 days. And this is one of those appearances. And these 10 post-resurrection appearances by Jesus are fascinating to me for, for a few reasons. One, why would Jesus only appear 10 times? He's got this superpower resurrected body. Like, why just 10 times over 40 days? And two, why didn't Jesus do more with his 10 appearances? You would think that he would, you know, accomplish quite a bit in those appearances. But what we find when we read about these, these 10 appearances by Jesus in, in his resurrected body is that he didn't do much. He, he instead chose to check in on his friends. All, all 10 appearances. Uh, he chose personal interactions over public events. And I think that's a strange investment, personally. Like, you think he would invest his time better, rent a venue, host a conference, teach a Bible preaching seminar, do something that, I mean, the early church here is in the beginning infancy stages. There was a lot to be done. And yet when Jesus shows up, these 10 times, he checks in with his friends. And in this particular time, this is the third time he's appeared to them, it says that he cooks them breakfast. Think about that. Jesus, again, like resurrected in this amazing body, takes the time to build a fire to make some bread, to clean some fish. Has anyone ever cleaned fish before? Not just like rinse them under the sink. I mean like gutted them and clean them. Jesus takes the time to do that and then cook them. Also, he can show hospitality and care for a handful of his friends. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into this passage. Let's read these first few verses again. John chapter 21, verse 1 through 3. It says, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel, 
from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. So here we have Peter, we have James and John, the sons of Zebedee, we have Thomas, we have Nathaniel and two other disciples who aren't named. I don't think John liked those guys. He didn't even name them in his book. It's like these other two guys. And, and they're all just trying to figure out what to do because the resurrected Jesus had appeared to them twice before, but now he's gone. So Jesus had this habit in these 40 days of showing up and then disappearing. And so he showed up and then he's gone. And so the disciples are sit left to wonder, what do we do? We're in limbo. We're not sure. What do. do we wait for Jesus to show up again? Is he going to show up again? Is he going to tell us what to do now that he's gone? And so Peter says, man, I've had it. I got to do something. I'm going back fishing. He's just sitting around. He can't do it anymore. And so they go back to what they know. They were fishermen before Jesus called them. They were fishermen. And then they followed Jesus for three years, and he was their rabbi, and he taught them. But now Jesus is gone, so they go back to fishing. The problem is that they fish all night long, and they don't catch anything. And you can imagine how dejected they feel by that, right? They're probably thinking like, man, we're just the worst. We're terrible disciples. We don't know what to do with Jesus being gone. And we used to be fishermen, but we can't even do that anymore. Who are we? We don't even know what we're doing. If you've ever lost a job or you ever start a new vocation or you ever relocate geographically, you've probably been here right? In that place where you're trying to figure out what to do and you don't know what to do. You know what I'm talking about? You get to someplace new or someplace you haven't been or you're doing something you've never done before and, and you're, you're, you become a little insecure, even feeling a little bit lost, wondering like, you know, who am I? I used to know who I was when I did this, but now I'm here doing this. And I don't quite know who I am, my role, what I'm doing. See, I think that happens to us because we often define ourselves by what we do. We attach our worth and our sense of value to what we do. So when we don't know what to do, we feel lost. Which is really a false narrative because our worth and our value doesn't come from what we do. Right? It comes from who we are. And one of the many things that my son Josh has taught me, I have a, for those of you who don't know, I have a son named Joshua. He has special needs. He's 17 years old. Cognitively, he's about four. But he's taught me so much. And one of the things he's taught me is how my worth and my value is not connected to what I do, but who I am. I'm a child of God. That's where my worth comes from. See, my son Josh is immensely valuable to me. I love him so much. He's immensely valued to me. He teaches me things all the time. But his value and his worth don't come from what he, what he does, what he can do. It comes because of who he is. Right? He's my kid. He's my son. And so one of the things that we can know for certain about God, there's a lot of things we, we, we don't know about God. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. But one thing that we can know for certain about God is that he doesn't love us based on what we can do for him. He 
loves us unconditionally because we're his kids. He loves us for who we are, right? Now, does God give us things to do? Yeah, he does. He gives us things to do. But our worth and our value and our sense of being doesn't come from those things. It comes from being his, his kid, his son, his daughter. And Jesus is about to demonstrate that for his disciples. Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12 says this. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. And here's what we find, is that through taking the time to cook this breakfast and just be present with the disciples, with his friends, Jesus teaches the disciples something invaluable. And it's this. It's okay to not know what you're doing. These guys were confused, man. They were fishermen, then they weren't. Then they were students, and then they weren't. Then they went to be back to be fishermen, and they didn't have a very good go at it. And they're wrestling and wondering, like, what are we going to do? Who are we? And Jesus, just, just through cooking this breakfast and being present with them, he teaches them an invaluable lesson that it's okay to not know what you're doing. Do you realize how countercultural that is? Like, not only in Jesus' day, but especially in our day. Because if you don't know what you're doing with your life, if you are taking a break from work, or you're in transition from one career to the next, or you're taking a gap year as a student, it's like the unpardonable sin. It's like you, you, you have leprosy. Somebody asks you, what do you do? I'm unemployed. And they're like, oh my God, I don't know what to do with that. I just like, what do you do? I'm in between jobs. Oh my God. That's like, it's like you're a leper. Right? That's what our culture does. It, 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 it encourages us to attach who we are to what we do. And what Jesus is doing with the disciples here is he's doing something countercultural. He's saying, no, you're worth more than what you do. That even if you don't know what to do, that's not what makes you valuable. What makes you valuable is that I call you friends. And so Jesus cooks this breakfast for them. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he could have chose a hundred meaningful ministry things to do with his 10 post-resurrection appearances. But instead he chose to cook breakfast for seven disciples. Probably took him some time, right? He's he's saying to them, hey, we're going to sit down together. I know I'm in my cool resurrected body right now, and we could be doing all these kinds of things. But we're going to have a nice slow breakfast together. I I just spent time preparing it and cooking it for you. Because you need to know that you're worth more than what you do. Your value and worth is in who you are. You're a child of God. Now, Later on in this passage, Jesus does end up commissioning them. He gives them something to do after this breakfast. He tells Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter goes, you know I do. He said, feed my sheep. And he tells him, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He tells him three times. But not before he spends time with them. 
not before he, he impresses on them the importance of being with. And what this story does for me, what this passage of Scripture does for me, is it assures me that when, when Jesus shows up at the shoreline of my life, it's not because he needs me to do something for him. He's, he's, he's God. He can, he, can, he can take care of it without me. He doesn't need me. He wants to spend time with me. When he shows up at the shoreline of my life, he wants to spend time with me. I've told this story before, but when my oldest son, Jared, he's 22 now and lives in Boston. But when he was a little guy, I don't know, maybe four years old, I was painting this stone house that I, that I lived in. And um, he wanted to paint with me, and so I got him a little can of paint with one of those sponge brushes, you know what I'm talking about? And, and he was having a go at it, <laughs> just slapping the paint on the house, and a couple times he dropped it, and we had this red cedar mulch, and the white paint brush goes in the red cedar mulch, it picks it up, now it's all pink, <laughs> and he's going on it, and, and I'm just going up behind him, and I'm cleaning it up, you know, but I'm, but I'm spending time with him. Well, about eight, nine, ten minutes later, he's done. So he puts his paintbrush down, I'm done, he runs to the porch and tells Michelle, I just helped dad paint the house. The fact of the matter is he didn't help me. He got in the way, right? <laughs> but I wanted to spend time with him. See, I think that's how we are with God. We think we're doing all this big thing for God, like, oh, yeah, I just painted the house. God, look at what I did, God. <laughs> and, he, and he just looks at us, like, just smiling. <laughs> but he just wants to spend time with us. See, when Jesus shows up at the shoreline of our lives, and, and, he, and he, it's not because he, he needs us to do something for him. It's because he wants to be with us. And, and whenever we take time to be with Jesus, we're reminded of that truth. That our value and worth is not attached to what we do. It's attached to who we are. We're, we're children of God. And so I want to close this morning by providing you with an opportunity to respond to this scripture passage if you're comfortable doing so, we, we constructed um, a makeshift fire pit over here. And this represents the, the space that Jesus made to be with his disciples. And then we have two baskets on each side. And inside those baskets are some Bible verses printed out. And there's different verses in there, but the, all the scripture that's in there has to do with us being a child of God, a son and daughter of God. And what I want to invite you to do is we sing our last song. I'll invite the worship band up. As we sing our last song together, I want you to make your way down and grab one of these and, and bring it back to your seat and just hold it in your hand. And as we're singing that last song together, just read it and then just hold it in your hand. And, and you, you might be thinking, that's really weird. I've never come forward and grabbed something out of a basket next to a fire pit before in church. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> But let me tell you why I'm inviting you to do this. Because sometimes a physical response with our bodies allows our bodies to act in concert with what's going on in our heart and our mind. And so sometimes it's helpful when we read words of Jesus like this, that, yeah, you know, sometimes God talks to our, our hearts and sometimes God talks to our minds. And, and, and when we can respond with our bodies sometimes, it acts in concert with that. And just, it, it's, it's a more holistic response, Right? And there's something about like getting up out of your seat and walking down and, and the physicality of like holding this verse while you sing. You know, so I'm going to invite you to do that. And would you do this too? 
after our gathering today, would you find somebody else and ask them what verse they took? And, and, and then share your verse with them. That way you get two for one, two, right? So let me pray for us, and then we'll stand and sing, and I'll invite you forward. Jesus, um, we're aware that we live in a world where um, we often attach our sense of value and sense of worth to what we do, what we're good at, what we give our time to. And while those things are meaningful and special and, and amazing, we're so thankful for the things, the good works that you've called us to do. It's such a joy and a privilege to be a part of them. Lord, ultimately we know that our worth and our value is not supposed to come from those things because those things can come and go. Those things can end. And then we're left lost and, and, and wondering who we are. So Jesus, would you just gently remind us this morning that you want to be with us, not for what we can do, with, do for you, but because you just want to be with us. Because our value and our worth just comes from being your friend and being a child of God. And I pray for all of my friends who are gathered here this morning as we worship together, and I, I pray as they come up and, and take one of these verses that you would, you would seal that on their hearts and their minds and even on their bodies. And Lord, we, we, we just thank you for being faithful to us even when we aren't faithful to you. And we give you praise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing. I invite you to come down while we're singing and just grab a, a verse out of the basket here. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.